He's been working in her life. Here's another daughter of mine, Morgan, so you can meet your sister later on, okay? Samantha, come on and get your certificate in Jesus' name. She got baptized Thursday night in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You got to take your picture. Amen. Come on, preacher. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I um, I am truly a blessed man. God has been good to me. He has been merciful to me. And he has clearly given me what I did not deserve. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Um, just it was a couple of months ago, my wife and I had just uh, got to her, her parents' home. We had been on the road and um, just been doing a lot of traveling. And it's, it's one thing to be in church and to be in service or to be in a, a prayer meeting um, and in praying with your wife or you hear your wife pray and you find the blessing and the comfort of the anointing that is upon this person that God has given to yoke yourself with. We were kind of settling down and we had left the prayer meeting at our father's church and got to the house. It was probably about 1030. She was going to get up and, and, and go work a, a small job that she's kind of picked up in, in Kentucky while we've been kind of resting and using it as a, as a hub for the past couple of months. She got to get up pretty early. And um, I had some a revival that was getting ready to kick off that weekend. And so I, I kind of snuck off to the basement and had my books and was praying and reading and highlighting. And she was supposed to be getting ready for bed. And I began to hear the piano upstairs playing. And then I just began to hear this voice sing. The song, The Reckless Love of God. She wasn't singing it for anyone else but her Lord. She wasn't worried about ministering to others or looking to sing in ministry with her voice. She was looking to worship the one that she loved most. And I just happened to be downstairs and catch the overflow of the spirit that was falling as I sat there and wept, I began to truly be thankful for what God has given me in my life. And not just through my wife, but through the understanding of His love. The understanding of His love. We are truly a loved people. We hear, we're blessed. But beyond our blessings, we are loved by a God who created us. And made us, fashioned us, died for us, and gave us mercy that we did not deserve. You are blessed, but beyond your blessing, you are loved. Amen. I, I am so excited to be with you today. Now, I'm going to take you very quickly to Genesis, the 35th chapter. Seemed like last time I was here, I was preaching from Genesis as well, but I'm not preaching about digging wells today. Genesis chapter 35. To my friend, 
my brother. Just honored to be with you, Pastor Wyatt, and your family. I love you. And uh, I don't want to just tell your church this. I want to tell you this. I'm proud of you. I'm so proud to see as a man grows in his, his ministry that God has called him to. You've always been a great man. But I am so proud to call you friend. And I love you and I appreciate you. Genesis chapter 35 and the first verse. And God said unto Jacob, Arise and go up to Bethel and dwell there and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau, thy brother. Arise and go up to Bethel, dwell there. Make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau, thy brother. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we need your word to be manifested in our lives right now. That which you and you alone can do. Lord, not only do you have the power to heal the body, but to touch the mind, but to save the soul. And the greatest need that we have today is the need of you in our lives. We ask that you would answer this prayer, that you would answer this heartfelt cry. Lord, save us, deliver us, help us, bring healing in this place. Oh, Lord, let a manifestation of your anointing and power fall upon us. Touch every life, touch every heartbeat, oh, God. Set us on the path that you have for us, oh, God. Let us hear your word clearly, Lord, as you ordain on steps, O God, and lead us into your heart. Lead us into your promise. We're asking for your work to be done. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Well, I can stand and, and deliver a short testimony just really quickly, but I... Um, I think it's quite humorous as Christians, as we get into the Word of God and we study the Word of God, how we uh, find in different seasons a word that appeals to us and calls to us in different times and in different seasons. We call them our favorite scriptures, and through life they are words from God that adapt, they, they change, and you might find yourself in times of loss or in loneliness clinging with all your might to the Psalm 23. You, you might find that you have taken refuge in Isaiah when his word has declared that he would keep at peace whose mind is stayed upon him. You see... At times, certain scriptures have meant more to us, and we say that there are our, our favorite scriptures, and I've had my favorite at times. And when I was young, and my wife thinks it's kind of comical and maybe narcissistic a little bit, but my favorite scripture was Micah, the seventh chapter and the eighth verse. I wonder why. I mean, the name Micah itself, I mean, it demands to be heard, right? Uh, may not demand much else, but even still. But we all know Micah, the seventh chapter and the eighth verse. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. Such power, such might, 
such mercy, such authority of the hand of God to reach into a life that has fallen, to pick him up and let him know that he can be strong again. When I was young, that was it. And I, I, I thought this was, this was quite cute coming from that book. And so when I got to Bible college and I started walking around the, the young preaching minds of the United Pentecostal Church, and I thought we got that Pentecostal arrogance among us. We thought we were now educated and we, we had arrived to that level. So I, I thought my, my scripture should mature a little bit. So I went back a chapter, Micah, the sixth chapter in the eighth verse and now it was, he hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, walk humbly with thy God. And I thought, man, I'm good. But as seasons have come and, and gone in my life, there have been many scriptures that have pulled at my heart and has pulled at my thinking at different times than others. It was about... Six or seven months ago, when I was studying and preparing for a, a service, something leapt out to me, and, and something gripped my heart, and it, it gripped my thinking. And I, I was reading in the book of John how in the moments that Thomas had said that until I touch him and until I see him, I'm not going to believe. And in a moment when a man in desperation is needing a, 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 a move of God's presence in his life, he had to wait eight more days until the Bible tells us that one day when he was with the other disciples and the doors were shut and the windows was closed, then came Jesus calling out to Thomas. And in his moment of revelation and saying, My Lord and my God, as the Lord had answered the very call of Thomas's cry, until I see and until I touch the welcome hand of God saying, Reach out, see me, and touch exactly what you need. The Bible said, as John wrote, that in the presence of his disciples, the Lord did many more miracles. That are not written in this book. But these are written. That you might believe. Faith began to. To go to another place. As I began to understand. That it was written that he calmed the storm with his voice. To let me know that in my storm. A word. Can bring everything to peace. It is written that a woman having an issue of blood 12 years and could not make herself better, but in fact grew worse, said within herself that if I but touch the hem of his garment, and in reaching out and just grasping a hold upon the falling hem of his garments, that she was made whole. That lets me know that if I have faith enough to just touch him. See, it was all written that I might believe that if he could open the eyes of the blind, if he could tell the lame man to get up and walk, or demand that a man stretch forth his withered hand, that if that work was possible through him at that time, it's still possible through him at this time. This was written that I might believe. As my faith began to grow upon reading that scripture, as I, my mind began to take me to new places and thoughts in his presence, I, something else leapt off of the page when John concluded the gospel by saying this, And so many more works did Jesus do while he was here on earth. 
that supposedly had they been all written down, that not even all of the books of the earth could contain. So my mind immediately began to drift into the place of the unwritten. What works had the Lord done that we had not even understood or even seen? What miracles had God manifested in someone's life that it was not even written yet, but it partaked in another man's life that began to evolve in another man's story as everything began to connect? So many works that the Lord did that we didn't even know. The greatest work that Jacob would ever find in his life is a work that is unwritten, but yet it is manifested. The greatest miracle that Jacob would ever see in his own life was not a work that God did directly in Jacob. You see, the Bible tells us in Genesis, the 35th chapter, the Lord is calling Jacob to get up from where he is and come to the place of his calling. Get up from where you are. Arise and get up and I'm bringing you to a higher place because I've never come into the house of God feeling worse than what it was when I came in. You see, this is a place of faith. This is a place of exaltation. This is a place where the lowly are lifted up and, and put on a higher place, a, a rock, a firm foundation. God does not call us to be a base. He does not call us to be broken down. He does not call us to be destroyed. He calls us to lift us up. The Bible declares, who should ascend unto the holy heel of the Lord, but he that hath clean hands and a pure heart. He didn't say go down. He didn't say come to a lower place. He said lift up your eyes unto the heels from which comes our help. Our help comes from the Lord. The Bible says to lift up your eyes for your redemption draws nigh. You see, when He calls us, He calls us up and He calls us out. He, he doesn't call us down. He calls us to arise and come to where He is. The calling to Jacob was a call of remembrance. A call of true and forever faithful promises that Jacob didn't even realize that he was living in. You see, Jacob was the youngest of twins. He was the second born. And to be born moments, just moments, seconds later, it was as if from the beginning he was trying to show, don't forget about me. The Bible said that as he was being born, that he was cleaving unto the heel of his brother Esau. As if to not be overlooked in that moment. But those mere seconds would demand everything for the rest of his life. You see, just because he was the youngest, he was always going to be forgotten. The eldest got everything. The eldest got the birthright. The eldest got the blessing. But in Esau's case, he got the favor and the love and the affection of his father. Jacob was nothing more than an afterthought. Jacob was nothing more than the one that came last. Jacob was nothing more than the one that would serve Esau. That's the way that Isaac saw it. That's the way that Isaac favored it. And that's the way that Isaac raised him. Esau always came first. The Bible said that Isaac loved Esau more than Jacob. 
But there was something different between Esau and Jacob. It was not on the outside. It was what was on the inside. We knew everything was different about these two men. These were two polar opposite kinds of men. Esau was a hunter. Esau was a gamesman. Esau was skilled. But the only thing Scripture tells us about Jacob was that he was plain. He was just ordinary. There wasn't much to him that was uh, that, that had much specialty around. He didn't have many talents. He didn't have many abilities. Esau had everything. He was the burly man. He was the strong man. He was the tall man. And this is my youngest, Jacob. Esau was the one that Isaac was proud of. Jacob was the one that was forgotten. Jacob was the one that would be overlooked. But just as the Lord spoke to Samuel saying, when you look at David, you're going to see the ruddy countenance. You're going to see the, the, everything that he is the forgotten of his father. You're, you're going to see that he is just the youngest and while everyone else is being ran before you. Uh, and they look like they got the makings of the king. They, they've got the talent of war. They've got the ability to fight. Uh, they've got the ability to produce things. And this young man just looks like he's ruddy and of a small countenance. Uh, you're looking at the outward appearance, but I'm looking the heart you see what was inside of Jacob that set him apart from Esau things began to take a complete different turn the day that Esau decides to trade his birthright for a pot of stew that Jacob had made See, all of that time that Jacob spent around his mama, it kind of paid off because he had kind of adapted the Martha Stewart skills of the family he knew how to make things smell good and taste good. He couldn't kill the bear, but he could sure make the bear taste good. He couldn't kill the lion, but he could sure make it taste better than it's ever tasted in its entire life. Esau had spent his entire day out trying to kill, trying to get something to make and trying to make something to eat, but he couldn't do it. Because at sometimes skills just don't pay off. And in a moment... In his hunger and in his weakness, he finds that Jacob has prepared this meal. And he's begging, would you give me something to eat? Jacob seeing an opportunity to take something that Esau wants and use it for his gain. He says, I'll give it to you if you give me the birthright. It almost seems deceiving. But if you look at what Jacob was doing... He said, I'll give you the only thing you care about if you give me the only thing I care about. You see, what you don't respect, what you don't honor, and what you don't cherish, and what you don't value, I see much value in it. I see much price in it. I see much submission in it. I see the sacrifice in it. And you don't value it at all. You see, the problem was, is Esau did not value the birthright. The birthright was simply the spiritual burden once the patriarch has passed to carry on the faith of the family. It was up to the holder of the of the birthright to build an altar unto God, to educate the family. There was only one true and living God, and that God was the only one that that served. That that one God called their great-grandfather Abraham out of a land that was broken and dying. He said, if you go into a land that I will show you, I will make of you a great nation, and of you 
shall all nations of the earth be blessed. Uh, that was the promise that I want to carry on. Uh, that was the God that I want to serve. Uh, that's the lineage I care about. Uh, that's the birthright that I long for. Uh, and you don't care about it. And I want it. It was sad that Esau did not care about spiritual things. At this time, Esau had already married two women that his mother and father did not approve of. He didn't care about what was right. He didn't care about what was good and what was honorable or what was godly. All he cared about is one day that he would have the blessing and the birthright and he could do whatever he wanted with it, however he wanted with it, whenever he wanted with it. And it meant so little to him that he was willing to trade something spiritual and something Something eternal for something that was momentary. To feed his appetite for a moment, he traded what was religious. He traded what was sanctified. He traded what was anointed. He traded what was of God for a moment to feed a physical desire. See, that was the problem. That was the reason why it says, even in Romans, the ninth chapter, for there's cause, it was Jacob that I have loved. Esau has that I have hated. Because Jacob cared of the things of God, while Esau despised the very thought of having to serve him. You see, we want the blessing like Esau without the birthright. He didn't care about the burden of a relationship with God. He didn't care about altars that he was to make towards God. All he cared about was the blessings that God would give him once that prayer of anointing was laid in his life. He didn't care about living what was right and what was holy. He only cared about receiving that when he did work, God was going to honor his work. That whatever he killed, God was going to bless and benefit what he killed. Whatever he planted, it was going to grow because God's blessing was on his life. He wanted the benefits of the relationship with God without having a relationship with God. We come to church and we like to get our praise on. We come to church and we like to sing our songs, clap our hands and do our dances. Uh, but you don't want to give your life to God. Uh, you don't want to give your heart to God. Uh, you want God to heal your body. Uh, you want God to open up the floodgates of heaven to pour out finances. Uh, but you don't want to say, God, I want things to be right. Uh, God, I want to for- ask forgiveness for my sins. Uh, God, I need your spirit to lead me and guide me. Uh, I want you to be my God. Uh, no, we want to come in. Uh, we want to sing glory to God. Uh, Hallelujah to your name. We want to sing songs. We want to dance. And we want to feel the presence of God without being committed to the God that wants to save us. And the only thing greater in this world than your need to be saved is God's desire to save you. God wants you more than you want Him. He wants to make Himself known. He wants to love you. He wants to show you how good He can be in your life. How great He can orchestrate your steps. How He can bless you day in and day out. You're coming in. You're going out. He wants to show you that He can make all things new again. And all you want to do is feel His presence and walk away. You want God to heal your children. You want God to move in your marriage, but you won't submit it to God. You want to do what you want to do, how you want to do it. You want the benefits of the blessings. 
without the burden of the birthright. Esau didn't care about it. And it was all that Jacob wanted. So he traded it. You see, the other thing that we have to understand is that Isaac was willing to overlook the chosen for the called. Scripture tells us that many are called, but few are chosen. And a lot of times we see the people that's got the most talent, they get the ability to stand before the church. We see a lot of times with the preacher's sons or the preacher's daughter. We Sometimes we see the evangelist's neighbor. I'm just being church talk right here. This is how it is. Uh, a lot of times there's always the people that get the opportunities first. Uh, while there's somebody that's got a heart for God. Uh, there's somebody that's got a longing and a calling in their life that God's got an anointing on. Uh, that says, I'm going to use you. I'm going to take you places. Uh, I'm going to use you to bring people to me. And all it seems like we're always seeing the chosen ignored for the call. You see, Esau and Jacob both had the right to worship. They both had the calling to live for God. But only Jacob would serve. See, Isaac was always worried about Esau. And he never saw what was inside of Jacob. And when Rebecca saw it, when she saw that there was something inside of him, she saw how wicked the decisions that Esau was making. She said, Jacob, you've got to go into your father. I've heard him tell Esau to go get everything ready. He's going to anoint him. See, it's good when you have somebody that believes in your dream. You, it's good to have somebody that believes in your calling. That, that says, you know what, now you need to start doing something. You, you, it's time to start moving. It's time to start acting. It's time to start living it out. And it seems deceitful, but yet she understood the heart of Esau and Jacob. Uh, she sends him in to Isaac, and Isaac lays his hands upon Jacob. Uh, he said, you sound like Jacob, but you feel like Esau. All of the steps that Jacob had done to hide his skin and to smell like the feel like Esau. But the Bible said that Jacob uh, was blessed by Isaac. Uh, and as Jacob was blessed by Isaac, and he walked out of his presence, Esau comes in bringing the food that Isaac had told him to prayer. And as he falls on his knees, because as his hands were trembling in the Oil was still dripping from his fingers. As Esau says, Father, I am here to receive my blessing. Esau laments in that moment because Isaac said, I blessed the wrong son. Anger immediately rises inside of Esau. I'm going to kill him. I'll wait till you're dead. I'll wait till you have passed on. And then I will take the blessing and the birthright for myself. And I'll take it without choice. I, I will take it by force. I am going to take it by eradicating the only line that lives. And therefore, it will have no other shoulders to fall on but me. Rebecca tells Isaac, we've got to do something for Jacob. And they send him away. And in the moment, Jacob is having to leave immediately from the home that he has. And everyone that he knows and everything that he loves. And he finds himself traveling through this darkness and through this pain, through this misery, constantly looking over his shoulder because he knows a fight with Esau is not a fight that he can win. All he knows how to do is cut the right amount of butter and pour the right amount of sugar. And Esau knows how to kill wild beasts with his bare hands. Esau knows how to wield the knife and the sword. He knows how to throw the stones. But all Jacob knows how to do is watch the pizza bake in the oven. He knows it's not a fight that he is equipped or handled enough 
to be able to face. Any time he would ever see Esau again, his life is over as he knows it. See, we all have things in our past that we're not ready to face. We all have things in our past that we're not strong enough to face and overcome on our own. And it is in this time when Jacob is walking and he is struggling and he is just trying to get to the place where his mother and his father has sent him. He comes to the place called Luz. We know this story because there at Luz he finds a stone and he uses it for a pillow. He lays his head upon it. And there we find that Jacob dreams this dream. In this dream the heavens open and the slatter comes from heaven. He sees angels coming down and angels going back up. But it was the one that stood atop of the ladder that cried out to Jacob, Jacob, I am your exceeding and I am your abundant reward. I, I am the God of your father Abraham and Isaac. I am your shelter. I, I am going to be your protector. I will not leave you and I will not fail you. In that place, Jacob rises in the morning and he says, surely the presence of the Lord was here and I didn't know it. See, well, I know there's a lot that we could take from this and we don't always understand the moment when grace has stepped into the picture. We don't always recognize the moment when God is trying to save us even from ourselves, even though we haven't made Him our God. He's trying to let us know that He is God, and wherever we need Him, we can find Him. He said, this is the gate of heaven. This is where heaven meets earth. This is where God can be found. The Bible says that He marked the place, and He named it Bethel, the house of God. He played a small prayer right there in the presence of the Lord. He said, if you bring me again into my father's house in peace, if you give me raiment and if you feed me, then surely you will be my God. He gets up from Bethel and then he arises and he goes to the land of his uncle Laban. He finds Laban and he falls in love with this young woman by the name of Rachel almost immediately. He says, I'll stay here and I'll work seven years if you let me marry her. Laban and shakes his hand and says that's a good deal and the Lord has been with Jacob from the moment that he came to him and lose the Bible said that he married Rachel but in the morning he wakes up there's Leah he doesn't know how everything just happened the way that it did but undoubtedly trickery runs in the family and so he goes to Laban he says Laban I, I thought that we made a deal for Rachel I married Rachel did I not he said yes but it's not customary for us to give the youngest before we give the eldest you see, that wasn't custom. But what's so amazing is starting with Isaac, then Jacob, and through Jacob's seed, there is a line of the youngest always preceding the initial holder of the birthright. You see, there is a tale that begins, and it doesn't stop with Jacob. It goes on to even Joseph. Joseph was the 11th of 12 sons. It was Joseph that was the favorite of Jacob. He was the son of his old age. He was the one that he gifted the coat of many colors. Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and it was the youngest that would be blessed before the eldest. You see, even when Jacob would lay his hands upon those two sons of Joseph, Joseph thought that he had done the wrong thing by blessing the youngest over the eldest, and so he went to go correct his 
Jacob's father. And Jacob said, no, it began with my father. It continues with me. And through you, I know what I have done. He crossed his hands. He says, what I have done, I have done. And I have done it intentionally. But it was Rachel that was married to Jacob. And it was Leah that woke up with him. And all her father could say was, it's not customary for us to give the youngest before the eldest. And he says, but if you still want to marry Rachel, you can marry Rachel. But that's going to cost you another seven years. Fourteen years this man worked married to two women. Bless his heart. I'm not going to say anything because I'm just a newlywed and I'm not about to put my foot in my mouth. But can you imagine being married to two sisters for 14 years uh, and they are already fighting with one another. And then when children get involved, it starts becoming a mess. Uh, And not only are you having to take care of this man's two daughters for 14 years and and your children, uh, but everything that you earn while you are working only go to pay off your two wives. Everything you get for 14 years goes into somebody else's account. Everything you do for 14 years goes to somebody else's benefit. And you're having to work off all that you are going through. 14 years. Two women. But when 14 years was up, Jacob goes to Laban and says, I've I've, I've paid off my debt. Now let me work. For you, I pray, and let everything that grows that is speckled and spotted come to me, and let everything that is pure fall unto you. Laban said, that sounds like a good deal. It's time that you start getting rewarded for all of the work that you are doing. And so the Bible said that he had turned from Jacob, and he went to his sons, and he says, now at this moment, I'm giving you everything that is speckled and spotted. And in a moment, the very same trickery that landed Leah in the bed on the morning of his wedding landed everything that was supposed to go to Jacob to his two brother-in-laws. But that's okay. There was an altar in Jacob's past where he made a vow unto the Lord that said, if you would take care of me, if you would protect me, that if you would go with me, if you would feed me, if you would bring me again into my father's house in peace, I will serve you and you will be my God. It seemed from that moment everything that began to come out of the womb of every animal seemed to be speckled and spotted. Uh, his children began to grow. His marriages began to be blessed. Uh, Jacob began to take unto himself servants. Uh, he began to see the blessings and the anointing of God truly living because not only did he possess the birthright, but he possessed the blessing. Uh, and even at this point, it was not his God. God was working on behalf of Jacob. And the only thing that Jacob would say is, The God of my father and the God of my grandfather. There hasn't been anything personal yet. There hasn't been anything intimate yet. There hasn't been anything one-on-one yet. But God said, I'm going to bring you back to your father's house. I'm going to bring you back in peace. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to clothe you. I'm going to feed you. And I'm going to stand against anyone that comes against you. Everything that Jacob puts his hands on is blessed. And it grows until the day that the Lord comes to Jacob and says, it's time to go back. Of all of the things that God had worked in Jacob's life, there was one haunting thing that would never be shaken. If he was going to go back to his father's house in peace, what was he going to do 
about Esau. The Lord had commanded him to get up and go. But all he could do was follow the word of God. You see, it's not the path that seems right in your own eyes. It's responding to what the Word says. It's the Word that gives you direction. If your decisions are not lining up with what God's Word is telling you, then you're walking in the wrong direction. If the decisions that you are making aren't giving God glory in your life, then you're making the wrong decisions. If the decisions that you are making are not amounting up to you being saved or you being sheltered in the arms of God, then you're making the wrong life decision. It's the word that tells you to arise. It's the word that tells you to repent. It's the word that tells you to come near. It's the word that tells you to walk by faith and not by sight. It's the word that is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. It's the word that instructs you when to go and when to stay, when to stand still, and when to shout, when to praise, when to rejoice. It's the word that ignites passion inside of your life that lets you know when to see it comes. Jacob wasn't moving without the instruction of the Lord. Arise and go into the land of your father. And all Jacob could do was respond to the calling of God. He gets up in the middle of the night. He gets everything together. He gets his wives. He gets his children. He gets his livestock. He gets his servants. And they begin to make their journey. But in the morning when the sun begins to shine, Laban sees that his son-in-law, his two daughters, all his grandchildren and all of their stuff is gone. And immediately he thinks that he's been tricked. And he's been done wrong. And he's going to make sure he sets it straight. He gets his servants together. He gets his sons. And they go after Jacob. Jacob, but just as soon as they step foot off of their land and moving towards Jacob and Rath, the Spirit of the Lord stepped in and said, you're not going to touch him. You're not going to harm him. He made an oath to me and I made a promise to him and I keep my promises. You ain't going to get on his way. You ain't going to touch his family. You ain't going to touch his children. You're not going to take his blessings or his finances. I made a promise. The Lord stepped in. And saved him. And he didn't even realize what God had done. The only worry that he had to live with was an oncoming looming fight of having to face a past that he was still ill-equipped to face. Esau was still out there somewhere. Esau was alive. Esau was stronger. Esau was mad. And this was how it was going to be. The Lord was leading him down to a path. And he was uncertain of the steps. uh, But the Lord was quick to let him know, you made a vow and I made a promise. The Bible says that he comes to Peniel. And there his servants meet him. Esau is coming. And with him are 400 men. It's a big army, Jacob. All of your blessings can't get you out of this. The Bible says that Jacob immediately, my wife wants to come. Jacob immediately separated everything that he had into seven. He sent them in seven different directions. All with the instruction that if you see Esau, bow yourself to him. And tell him that you are a gift from Jacob. You are a peace offering. Just... 
I know I can't buy your forgiveness. Uh, I know that I, I, I can't get by myself out. But at least if you would know that I, I'm trying to come to you in peace. There's some things you have to realize. Don't come without a fight. Jacob. The Bible says that in that moment. Jacob. In Genesis the 32nd chapter I believe. Wrestles with the angel of the Lord. While Jacob was left alone. See we like. I think it's just common for us Pentecostals. We we like it when we're around people of like and precious faith. We, we appreciate the fellowshipping and the gathering of ourselves together because we like the support that comes and the camaraderie that comes with being with our brothers and our sisters that can uphold us that when we're going through pain or we're going through an emotional hell, it's good to have someone put their arms around you and let you know, hey, you're going to make it. God's got a purpose in your life and I'm praying for you and I'm, I'm going to fight with you. But your greatest breakthrough does not come when you're surrounded by your friends. The greatest work of God in your life is not coming when you're surrounded by the choir and everybody's in step with you. The greatest work that God is ever going to do in your life is when you are one-on-one and you are face-to-face and God is bringing the truth out of you. And you can't skirt around what's going on. You can't lie about what's going on. Because this is God you're talking to. And there's no fooling God. And there's no lying to God. Because He knows the inward parts of man. And He knows what you have need of before you even ask it. And when He asked Jacob, what is your name? Jacob has to be honest. I'm Jacob. I'm a liar. I've stolen. I've taken. And the Lord says, no. I know who you really are. I know who I created you to be. I know what you think of yourself, and that's not what I think. I know how you feel about yourself, and that's not how I feel. I've still got some promises for you. I've still got good for you. Problem is, is we don't want to be honest with God. We want to present everything like it's okay. That I can deal with my problems, and God knows you can't deal with your problems. You can't get past your past yourself because you can't love yourself enough to forgive yourself. And He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins if we only ask. You see, God knows more about us than we and our arms are too short to box with God. But here's the thing. They are fighting all night. At any moment, the fight could end. Because all we know is at the beginning of the day when Jesus, when the Lord just touches him in the thigh, his thigh comes out. The fight could have ended with one touch from the beginning. But it had to go on all night. Sometimes God wants to know, are you going to tarry? Are you going to wait until something happens? Are you hungry and desperate enough that even when they're done singing, when they're done praying, and they're putting up the chairs, I can't move from this place. The presence of the Lord is here. And I got some things that need to change. I got some things that I can't go back to. I got some things I'm tired of living in. I want something to be saved in me. I want something to be removed from me. And I'm not going to let you go. We let God move through the window of our hearts so easily that once the song's done, we're done. Once we let it go today, I'm checked out till next Sunday. 
There's not going to be no morning worship Monday. There's not going to be no sanctification on Thursday night by the side of my bed when I'm asking God to take everything from me. Take all that I have to give you. I want you to change my life. You know, God wants to know sometimes how much do you really want Him? And He'll toil with you. He'll wrestle with you. And just know all it takes is a touch for things to change. It'll take a moment and everything will be loosed. But how much are you going to get a hold of him in his presence? Son comes up. He touches the hollow of his thigh. He's changed his name. But as the sun has arisen and the Lord has disappeared, now the only thing that Jacob can see is Esau. He's trudging through the water there across the brook. Jacob bows himself to the ground seven times because now I have seen God face to face. I can die and be at peace with who I am. If it all ends now, I'm ready to go. Esau breaks through But there's no sword in his hand. There's no knife in his grasp to stab him in the back the way that he feels Jacob did him 20 some odd years ago. He falls on Jacob. He covers Jacob. And he begins to kiss. The last thing we ever heard about Esau was the vow and the vengeance. I'm going to kill him when I see him. The last thing that we know, Isaac's hands were still trembling. The oil was still dripping from his fingers as the tears upon Esau's face cried out, Is there only one blessing? And as much as Isaac could do, he laid his hands upon Esau. And he says, You're going to eat of the fat of the land. That's okay. I can do that. I hear keto's a big thing right now. High protein, high fat, low carb, bad for your cholesterol. But I can make it by. He said, you're going to live by the sword. That's okay. I'm a fighter. I've had to fight through everything. I had to fight to get here. I've killed before. I can live with the struggle. I've been struggling my whole life. He said, you're going to serve your brother. But I'm the oldest. I was the one that was supposed to be the leader. I was supposed to be called. I wasn't supposed to be the one that ended up an alcoholic. I wasn't the one that was supposed to be broken and depressed and bound by anxiety. I wasn't supposed to be the one that ended up in teenage pregnancy and be a single parent. I wasn't supposed to be. I was supposed to have the future. I was supposed to be the one that had everything. I had promise. 
I had your favor. I thought I was caught. But it was the fourth blessing of Isaac that would change everything. As his hands still trembled, Esau cried and lamented over missing everything. Isaac tells Esau, And when you shall have dominion over the burden, you shall be free of him. He tells Esau, This is only going to hurt you as long as you let it hurt you. But the day you get past what they did to you, the day you get over what they said about you, the day you get beyond what they took from you, the day you get by that you don't worry about what happened, and all you can see is the good that God can bring in your life, the day you get stronger than your past, the day you get stronger than your sin, the day you get stronger than your pain, every blessing of Abraham and every anointing that flows from God above will be yours, and you will have joy, you will have peace, You will have life. You will be free. He falls on Jacob and he kisses him. He said, I don't need your children. I've got my own. I don't need your riches. I've got my own. I don't need your servants. I don't need your stuff. I've got my own life. I've got my own joy. I found it. I got bigger than what you did to me. And there was love. And then there was embrace of peace. It's unwritten. But in Genesis, the 35th chapter, after Esau and Jacob had dwelled in the same land for 20 some odd years, again, the Bible said that Esau comes to Jacob It says, I need to go somewhere else. There's not enough space in all of this land for all that God has given you and me. we got to go our own separate ways. There was peace and there was love. And as soon as Esau departed in peace, God comes knocking on Jacob's door. It says, I want you to get up and go back to the place where I found you in the day that you ran for the face of your brother. And instead of marking that place, I want you to build an altar in that place. You owe me a life. I protected you. I saved you. Now you go back and you give me what you owe me. You see, we come into the house of God and we say like Jacob, surely the presence of the Lord was in this place. God can be felt in this place. I can find what I need in that place. And that's as far as we take it. We take a worship song as long as we can take it. We'll take a praise break as far as we can take it. But God said, I want you to do more than just mark the place. I want you to do more than just say that I was here. I want you to commit yourself. I want you to give your heart to me. I want you to build an altar to me. I want you to give everything that you owe me. Because I kept my end of the bargain. I brought you back to your father's house in peace. I eradicated the burden. 
burden of your brother. I gave him things because he got over his hurt. He got over his pain. He got over his anger. And in setting him free, I loose you into the place where you can be free. It was the unwritten work of God. But now when Jacob is going back, stand with me. Jacob says, I'm going back and I've got a debt to pay because I've got to go back and I've got to give what I owe God. He saved me from things that I couldn't save myself from. He protected me when I couldn't protect myself. He blessed me when I couldn't do it. Uh, He worked in ways and in avenues where my hands were too feeble and too weak to work. Uh, He forgave when I didn't deserve forgiveness. He gave grace uh, where I didn't deserve it. And He's brought us back in peace. Uh, And He says, now in this place where we are, uh, I want you to change your clothes. Uh, I want you to take off the earrings. that we. uh, You are going to take off everything that has marked us from where we have been. uh, Because we're going to a new place in God. Uh, We're not just going to Bethel. We're not just going to the house of God. He says we're going to El Bethel. We're going to go see the God who's in his house. Because you have more than a relationship with the place. The God that is saving your sins is here right now. And he is demanding that you pay what you owe him. Because you ask God if he would save you from that situation. That you would give your life, your life and you would never turn back. But you have forgotten to pay your end of the debt. You told God that if He brought you out of that hospital room, if He got you out of that bad situation or that bad and that dark place, if He took you out of jail, if He broke that addiction, that you would give your heart to Him and your life for Him and you would never go another direction. You owe Him an altar. Because the God of this house is here. And He demands that you do more than just mark the house. He says, you build me an altar. And you give me what you owe me. Because you only made it here because of Him. He said, it's not by might nor by power, Zephaniah. He said, it is by my spirit. The things that you made it through that you shouldn't have made it through, you made it through because of the grace of God. Those nights that you cried alone in your room saying, God saved me, God helped me, and that he heard and he brought you here. And you didn't realize because no man cometh to the Father lest the Spirit draw him. You didn't come here on your own accord. There was something that it was unctioning. You said, come back. I'm bringing you to a place that you're supposed to be. I'm bringing you to the place where you were supposed to come a long time ago. And I'm going to remind you of the altar that you are to build. Quit marking yourself from the things that you've gone through. And get ready to walk into the new living, the new liberty where God is getting ready to do a new work in your life. Why don't we close our eyes right now? Come on, talk to the Lord. Let the Holy Ghost talk to you right now. Come on, forget about what somebody said to you. Forget about somebody who walked away from you. Forget about what they did. Uh, Forget about the hurt that they caused in your life. Uh, Forget about the pain that you caused in your own life. 
You need God to save. God's done everything that He can do to get you to this place where you would come to Him and you would commit your heart and life and receive His Spirit and be full of the Holy Ghost. He tore down walls to get you to this place. He saved you from death to get you to this place. He's loosed you from bad relationships. He's taken the wrong people from your life to get you to this place. Come on, that's it. Talk to the Lord right now. Why don't we find a place to pray and build an altar? Why don't we let the Lord heal in this place right now? If you need freedom from thoughts that you can't let go of, if you need deliverance from sin that you haven't been able to ask God to forgive you of, if you need peace that you can't produce through anything that you do with your own strength or work, I want you to find a place to pray and I want you to give God your all. Call on His name. His name is Jesus.